Um, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5, right at the top in verse 1. Um, as it was said, my name is Christoph. Um, I'm Max's brother. I get the opportunity to minister down in Peshtigo. Um, I'm the minister to youth and families down there. And um, I'm really excited to be here with you this morning to share God's message. This is going to be a sermon that I preached a few weeks ago back down in Peshtigo. Um, I, I get the blessing. Being the youth guy, uh, we have a joke that the Sunday after Christmas is always National Youth Pastors Preach Sunday um, because that's when the pastors are on vacation. Yeah. Um, and so I actually got the chance to preach this on December 26th, the day after Christmas. Um, so if there is a lot of talk about Christmas this morning, um, it looks like I won't be too far off. We still have the decorations, so um, we'll, get, we'll get a chance to just continue that, that joyous celebration. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I think the truth packed in this passage is perfect for post-Christmas. So um, as, as we are thinking about it, I want you to put yourself kind of in that context. We are just getting done celebrating the birth of our Savior. Uh, Christmas, what an incredible time. Um, and let me just read this verse. I'm going to read this verse, Galatians 5, um, uh, verse 1, and then uh, I will pray and we can, we can get started. So it says simply this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we are free in you. I pray this morning that we would better understand what it means to live as people who are free in you. I pray this morning that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, I pray for those in here who need to hear um, admonishment, that they would feel admonished. And I pray for those in here who need to feel uplifted, they would feel uplifted. God, I pray ultimately that you would speak this morning. I pray that we would hear your word clearly. Any place where I may distort it through, through my speech, I pray that the ears that would hear it uh, would, would be given clarity and that it would all point to you and to your goodness. God, I pray that this morning you would remind us of your love for us. I pray this morning you would remind us of our need to spread your word amongst the nations. I pray that you would help us to better love those around us. God, you are so good. We pray this all in your precious son's name, Jesus. Amen. Galatians is an intense book of the Bible. Um, I remember when I was in school, and I was, uh, I was tasked with reading through, it was, a, it was a class all on Paul's letters. So this is one of Paul's letters. And I was tasked with reading through and listening to all of Paul's letters in the Bible. Um, and you heard me right, listening through. Cell phone Bibles were not a thing when I was in college, uh, the audio Bibles. So we had to go and buy CDs. And um, I had to buy this, this full CD set of the New Testament and listen to it. And I had to sit down and journal through um, every, one of these, every one of these letters that Paul wrote. And so I'm, I remember sitting there distinctly listening to Galatians and listening to this letter on CD. And there was just kind of this nice flowery music that's playing in the background, right? Like nice and calm. And I'm sitting there and the narrator is reading through it. And, and I remember really distinctly this letter specifically, because as I'm listening to it and I'm writing in my journal, I'm writing down that I, I think they chose the wrong music to play in the background of this letter. It should have been like intense metal music that's playing in the background um, as he's reading this letter. 
um, because it was written by the Apostle Paul to the letter in Galatia, and it was written to this, this church that, had, that, that their faith was being tested. There were those outside of the church that were saying that their salvation, the church in Galatia, their salvation, um, their salvation and inclusion into God's people and family was not complete by the work of Jesus alone, but that there were these additional works that they had to do on top of it in order to stand rightly before God. And you can feel part of this tension. Paul is not holding back any punches. If you turn back just a few pages, Galatians chapter 1. I'll give you a second to turn back there. Galatians chapter 1, um, verses 6 through 9. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are, some of you, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, anyone who is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. It's intense. As I've read this letter countless times since college. I think I've revised my view on the tone just a little bit. He is admonishing, but he is also pleading with the church. He is standing before them, and he is pleading that they would not be distracted with any other gospel or any other good news than that of Jesus. He goes so far as to even say that if, if an angel were to appear, an angel from heaven were to appear and preach a gospel contrary to the one that was preached to them, that that angel should be accursed. The language is strong, and the message is even stronger. The good news of Jesus plus anything else is no good news at all. It is not Jesus plus anything else that saves. It is solely Jesus who saves. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we rest our salvation upon. Anyone or anything else, anyone or anything that tries to say anything more than that is selling a salvation of works, which is to say, no salvation at all. I remember the, I, I'm reminded of the famous Puritan quote, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. This is the tension that Paul is leaning into when he is writing the letter to Galatians. And so when we read Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, when we read about freedom, this should be the context by which we are reading it. So I was caught off this year, I was, I was caught off guard by how much I undervalued Christmas as a season of giving. Um, and, and listen, I, I have joined in the choir of saying that Christmas is about giving and not receiving. I have said the same cliches that we echo each year, in, each year in and year out. And they're cliche for a reason, right? That Christmas is about giving. We celebrate by giving presents to one another, and it is uh, such a joy. I get to witness firsthand this joy uh, when my children open up Christmas gifts, and we get to see just how excited they are and what joy it brings them. I, I have three little ones, by the way. Um, so, you know, big brother's got to one-up my, my little brother. He's got two, I got three. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it, is, it is joy. But I was surprised this year as I was thinking through it for the reason that we celebrate by giving. Because we don't celebrate by giving at every holiday tradition, right? So why is it we celebrate with giving? Well, it's not void without reason. There is a reason why we celebrate giving, and that is because God gives. We have a God who is a giving God. God modeled that for us, right? 
Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says it very clearly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, we practice the tradition of giving, not just because it is fun or because we want stuff in our house. We practice the tradition of giving because it is the very nature of our creator. The God who created Every inch of this universe shows his glory, his majesty, his generosity, his extravagance by doing what? By giving. And our God is so gracious in his giving. So gracious. Let's take a moment. Close your eyes. Um, and, and I just close your eyes and pretend you're taking a, a giant bite out of the, a perfectly cooked steak or maybe a perfectly crafted pizza, or if you're a fan, my, like, like myself, of breakfast food, maybe you have a big bite of maple syrup drenched French toast. That sense of taste, that is a gift from God. Taking in a big breath through our nose, exhaling it out. Oxygen, a gift from God. This building, warmth, music, all of it, gift from God. And they all pale in comparison to the ultimate gift he gave, which we celebrate each Christmas, right? He gave himself. But here's the problem. December 25th comes and goes, and it is an unfortunate consequence of our human condition that we forget so quickly the gifts we have been given. This, by the way, this is why I think Galatians 5, chapter 1 fits so perfectly post-Christmas. Even a couple of weeks later, this small, singular verse, we are reminded that the foundation of giving, this foundation that we celebrate when it comes to Christmas time, um, it, it's something that we don't just celebrate one time a year. It's something we celebrate all year round. It is a continuation of God's people finding complete joy and meaning and satisfaction all year round in that gift. And what is that gift? That gift is God. So with that in mind, let's unpack this verse a little bit. Galatians 5, chapter 1. I'm going to read it once more. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. When I read this verse, I see three different moments in the life of a Christian. So if you are a note-taking person or you're somebody that likes a nice little detailed outline, I think I see three parts in this verse that we can talk about. And then there's going to be two other parts and one of those parts, but whatever, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> um, the three parts are this. There is a time in which we are submitted to a yoke of slavery, right? Then there is this incredible moment where Christ sets us free. And then after that, there is this moment where we have freedom in Christ. There is a before God, there is a but then God, and a now with God. So as we are going through the rest of this morning's message, that will be kind of the outline as we go through it. So let's talk about this first part. The warning of the Christian here in Galatians 5, chapter 1, is to not submit once again to a yoke of slavery. Now, to be a slave it means to be bound, exploited, in debt to someone or something. Another definition is to be submitted to a dominating influence. And this is what sin does to us. When we are bound to sin, we are indebted to a dominating influence. 
And if you think that I am using intense language when it comes to slavery, it is only, uh, I only use it because Jesus is the one himself who uses it to explain our condition. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The problem is that sin is naturally engraved in our hearts. The irony is that if we go to fight this truth, if we go to combat it, we actually go to only prove that it is true. This is what 1 John says in 1.8. It says, if we, do not, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we are without sin, we lie. And if we lie, we sin. Back to square one. We are bound to our desires, and our desires are not of those of God, but they are of our own. And the older I get, the more convinced I am of this. I, I have had multiple conversations over the course of this, even this past month, with, with people, Christians and non-Christians, and it's, there seems to be this echo of just this brokenness in the world that we currently live in. And the thing is, is we are really quick to blame this brokenness on everything and everyone around us. But the truth is that we are all not only affected by sin outside in, but our natural bend is to be completely indebted to sin inside out. We are exploited to, to sin, submitted to the domineering influence of sin. Addiction, hatred, violence, affairs, worshiping of idols, abuse, racism, sexism, the list goes on and on. And this is the yoke we are submitted to in our natural state. And it is devastating. It destroys. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys childhoods. It destroys cultures. It destroys. Sin destroys. It destroys from the inside out and from the outside in. Sin destroys. But God. Right? But God, Christ, has set us free. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but God. This is the second moment I notice in Galatians 5, chapter 1. And what a glorious moment it is. That we were a people who were once submitted to the yoke of sin, but Christ has set us free. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the gift. And we celebrate it each year at Christmas and at Easter. We celebrate it when we take communion, the Lord's Supper, when we gather to worship him each and every Sunday, when we gather in our homes, when we gather for Bible studies. Ultimately, each and every moment we breathe is a recognition of the incredible gift that God has given, which is himself. One of my favorite verses that captures this gift and its power is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11. through 11. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11. through 11. And this is one of those ones, if, if you don't have it memorized or you don't have it written down, memorize it, write it down, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your dresser, take a screenshot of it, make it your phone background, whatever. But this is one that we need to be reminded of all of the time. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sin may destroy, but we serve and worship a God who conquered literal death itself. Get that. Destruction itself was destroyed. Hallelujah. We spent time uh, back, back in my church in Peshtigo over the, over the month of December talking about the extravagance of God, the extravagance of his kingdom, the extravagance of the Advent season, and, and what we anticipate in the Advent season. And, and we landed on the extravagance of his kingdom. And it's important to remember that kingdom language isn't only about a future kingdom, right? So 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, talks about inheriting the kingdom of God. And it says that those in sin do not inherit the kingdom of God, but those who are sanctified, washed, justified are those who inherit the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is not just a future kingdom, even though it is, but it is also the tastes and moments of experiencing that very kingdom today. So again, if you're a note taker, here are the two sub points of point number two. Um, there are two things that come to mind when I hear inheriting the kingdom of God. The first is the explicit forgiveness of our sins, which holds us back from eternity with God. Right? So when Jesus gives us freedom, when we are set free by the work that Jesus does, this yoke of slavery is removed, of us, removed from us, and we do not have to pay the price that was demanded from sin. Every sin past present and future was paid for. And how was it paid? Not by what you did, not by what I did, only by what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus has set you free. Christ has set us free. And, and I don't want to undersell the gift because it wasn't just something that God gave us. It wasn't just a thing. It was himself that he gave us. One of my favorite uh, sections of scripture is Philippians chapter 2. So once again, sorry, if you're cruising all around the Bible, I love going all throughout the Bible. Philippians chapter 2 really highlights just how incredible this gift of God giving himself actually is. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The very God who, who created the literal rules of physics that we abide by each and every day gave himself for us. The very God who, who knows the depths of the ocean, something that we in all of our technological greatness have yet to do. I mean, it's great that we have Facebook and we can now do virtual reality, but we don't even know all of the creatures on, on the earth. He knows them, all of them. He made them. The very God who knows 
every galaxy, every star. He not only knows them, but he created them. He gave himself for us. So earlier this year, we had our, our third child. His name is Abel, um, and he has begun eating food. You know, uh, smashed up vegetables and, and fruit, baby food. Um, and I shouldn't be surprised at this point. This is our, our third child. But, but it is still hilarious to me watching him try to figure out basic motor functions as he is discovering food. Right? Like, it is just not all there. He is, he is trying to, like, eat food, and it is just getting everywhere. The food is just getting everywhere. You try to bring it in his mouth, and he's, like, trying to figure out, like, how, how, how do I do this? And it's, it's funny because he gets a little frustrated. He's like, I like the food. I want the food. But he doesn't, like, it's just, it's just not all there. It is crazy to me that when we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate the gift of God giving himself, when we think about this gift, when we think about Philippians chapter 2, we think about the fact that there was a point in the life where Jesus relied completely on his parents to feed him. There was a point where Jesus didn't even have basic motor functions of his mouth. It is awe-inspiring to think that the God of the universe who created everything in order to show his glory, took on human form and went through the humbling motions of learning motor functions with his mouth. And he did so so that he could live a sinless life, walk the walk that we could not walk, teach the disciples what it meant to follow him, ultimately pay the price that we deserve so that we could live free. Christ has set us free. So I said there were two things when it came to inheriting the kingdom. The first one was the literal forgiveness of our sins, which Jesus did. The second one, which comes to mind, are the broken chains of sin and then the freedom to walk as God has called us to. So not only have you just been forgiven, you have been called. To inherit the kingdom of God doesn't just mean an eternity with God after we pass from this life. It also means the opportunity to walk with God in this very moment. And I worry sometimes that we as the church miss out on this or we lean too heavily on one side or the other. If, we, if inheriting the kingdom only means eternity with God in the next life, then how does that actually affect the reality of the moment that we are in here and now? And on the other side, if inheriting the kingdom cannot mean um, can I, inheriting the kingdom of God cannot mean just good works in the here and now devoid of the promise of eternity that Jesus gave. We cannot lean too far on one side or the other. Rather, kingdom living is both eternity with God and changed lives in the here and now. This is what freedom looks like. Jesus doesn't just remove the yoke of slavery. He gives us a new life in the here and now. This might sound familiar. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. This is Jesus speaking. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't just receive the gift of God himself and just go, oh, Neat, and just leave it there on a shelf to collect dust. No, this is the greatest gift we could ever receive. 
This is the sort of gift we could not receive with a mild manner. It's like Matthew 13, 44 says. Jesus describes this person recognizing this kingdom. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in all of his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It is completely life-changing, life-altering. And this brings us back to Galatians 5.1 because we talked about the fact that we don't go back to this yoke of slavery. We don't go back to it. Christ has set us free. So then what? For freedom, Christ has set us free. So we spoke about being bound to sin. We've looked at the greatest gift God could have given us in himself, that Christ has set us free. And now we get to talk about that freedom. This really caught me up. I've, I've read this verse over and over again. I've read Galatians over and over again. But it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom. The call then is to stand firm in that freedom. So the question should naturally be, what is freedom? Now, if you read this passage and you immediately think of the three big Bs, brats, burgers, and bald eagles, you're not thinking the same freedom that Paul's talking about here. <laughs> a, a red, white, and blue flag will not appear behind you while you're reading this passage along with the United States National Anthem. That might be a little bit out of context considering it was written 2,000 years ago. Um, but I think given our national context, it could be really easy to export this passage into the political part of our brains and think, oh, freedom. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Another type of freedom that's not being talked about here is not the ability to do whatever you want. It's another thing we do when we come across the word freedom. We define it as this like catch-all word that means, hey, you get the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom, Christian freedom, is bigger, better, and far more beautiful than any worldly system can attempt to create. Now, I don't typically, when I'm studying for a passage or I am preparing to preach, um, go all the way to the King James Version of the Bible to compare passages. I like to sometimes compare different versions, but, um, but this time I, I stumbled upon the King James Version of this passage, and it totally caught me off guard because they use a word uh, that's a little bit different than freedom, and I think it's actually really, really interesting. So I want to read it to you really quickly. The King James Version of Galatians 5, chapter 1 says this. Stand, and I've got all of the and issues and, and stuff in there as well. So um, we'll see if I can say this properly. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Do you see the different word that was used there? Liberty. I kind of like that. I like that word a little bit better, liberty. I like the word a little bit better because having liberty kind of carries a different weight to it than having freedom for something. Having the liberty to do something is the difference between whether you can do something and whether you should do something. I, I feel like liberty is more of a, a, uh, an active thing, whereas freedom kind of tends to have this passive um, idea to it. So what I'll say it again, though, I think that liberty talks about whether you, uh, it doesn't, it's the difference between whether you can do something or not or whether you should do something or not. And that's the freedom we have been freed to. 
we no longer live as those bound to the flesh, to our sins, but to those who are free to live as God has called us to. We are finally able to fulfill and be the people we were and are called to when we embrace Christian freedom. It reminds me of the first question of the Westminster Catechism. If you don't know what that is, um, catechisms were tools that were used to teach uh, biblical truths. The the Westminster Catechism was one that was written in the 1600s, and our Presbyterian brothers and sisters tend to use this as their way of teaching truths of God uh, to to their children, adults. I love it. I think it's fantastic, but I love this first question. Um, and, And so what they do is they do a question, and they do an answer, and they have to memorize it. And the very first question is this. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What a standard to live by. We are only ever truly free to live towards these ends when we are given freedom in Christ. Now, I can imagine that there are some who are protesting that the definition of freedom, saying we are not truly free then to do whatever we want, if that is the case. And I can understand that sentiment. It actually reminds me of this quote that I read um, uh, uh, from someone. I'm going to do a terrible job at this name, but Eliud Kapoji. Does anyone know that name? Does anyone know who I'm talking about? There was like one person when I preached this a couple weeks ago that knew who that was. But Eliud Kapoji, um, he's a marathon runner who currently holds the world record for running a marathon. So right, 26 miles, he ran it in two hours and one minute. Yeah, that's pretty intense, right? He said this, I love this quote, only the disciplined ones in life are free. If you are undisciplined, you are a slave to your moods and passions. Now listen, I am not advocating for a works-driven faith where your, your freedom is found in, in the things you do or don't do or the disciplines you engage with or don't engage with. But what I'm saying is that when we are freed by Christ, when we have that yoke that is removed from us, we are freed to engage and live in the way that Christ has called us to. We are no longer bound to the question of what can I do, which leads to the enslavement of sin, but what should I do, which leads to freedom in Christ. And I think if I'm going to boil it down to anything, I think this is what Christian freedom looks like. It is no longer defining life by, uh, by can we do something, which puts our ability at the forefront. When we ask the question, can I do this or can't I, it puts our ability at the forefront. But instead, we ask the question, what should we do? Which then puts our conscience at the forefront of how we live and how we make decisions. I'll give a few examples. Can I eat that third slice of apple pie on Christmas? Yes, I absolutely can. (laughs) Should I eat that third piece of apple pie on Christmas? That's a different question. All of a sudden, instead of my ability to do something, the question is, am I engaging in gluttony? Am I engaging in in stuff that God has called me not to do? Am I being greedy? Am I taking from somebody else? Let me give another example. Parents. Uh, So I I, I minister to youth, um, but 
at our church, I, I minister to families as a whole, and so I sit down and talk with parents oftentimes, and and question pops up, like, what am I supposed to do when I catch my, my teenager sinning? All right, so parents, put yourself in the position. You, you just caught your teenager lying to you. The difference of what can you do and what should you do are very differently, are very different. If your teen is caught lying, can you yell at them? Absolutely. Can you belittle them? Yeah, you can. Can you, uh, can you take away everything from them? Can you, can you do all? Yeah, you absolutely can do all of those things. Ask yourself the question of what should you do? Should you model the same discipline that God has modeled to you? Should you model the same patience that God has modeled to you? It's a different question. It again puts our conscience at the forefront of whether we should or shouldn't do something. When we are free, we are free to live the way that God has called us to, which in its purest form looks like loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and bringing others with you along in that process. I use the word conscience to describe that, by the way, because it's something that the Puritans used to refer to, and I think it's something that we've shied away from a little bit um, in, in our current church culture. But I, I love the idea of Christian conscience. Christian conscience. It's that thing that, that guides you. Now, we know as Christians, the Holy Spirit walks with us in all that we do. And so it's not like it's devoid from that. It's, it is more of an active listening to the way that God is calling us to live. I love J.I. Packer wrote this, this fantastic book that goes through and talks about um, just different concepts that the Puritans um, talked about. And, uh, and he says that Christian conscience, uh, this is the way he summed up Christian conscience. He said, um, it is true knowledge of oneself, that is, knowledge of your own self as God knows you. Let's think about that for a moment. When you are living free in Christ, you're asking the question, what should I should or shouldn't I do? That is your conscience, that is putting your conscience to the forefront, and your conscience is the knowledge of yourself only insofar as God knows you, as God looks at you. It is completely countercultural to the way, by the way, the world calls you to look at yourself. The world calls you to look at yourself as you are. You get to make yourself up. You are formed by who you think and say you are. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is, who does God say you are? So we stand firm in this knowledge of who we are because of who God has made us to be. This is the charge that Paul is giving the church in Galatia in Galatians 5, verse 1. Read this again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand Firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Stand firm knowing you are who you are because of who God says you are. Know that if Jesus has set you free, you are free indeed. You are free to know that you are forgiven. You are free to know that you are loved. You are free to know that you are called to a high walk in life, to love God in all that you do, to love others even when it is difficult and it hurts. 
because it's such an important truth for us, not only post-Christmas, not only thinking about it in the context of December 25th or December 26th, because it's really easy to fall into, and I know that I'm probably not talking to this crowd right now, but it's really easy to fall into the CEO life, right? The Christian Easter-only life. Can't allow ourselves to do that. We cannot fall back into this yoke of slavery. We cannot take our eyes off of the cross and off of what Jesus did. Instead, we have to set our eyes firmly on the cross, set our eyes firmly on Jesus, and and to stand firm in that truth, to live free as Christ has called us to. That is the charge, church. Do not fall back into that yoke of slavery, but instead stand firm in who Jesus has called you to. Um, I'm going to pray, and I think we have one more worship song that we're going to So if you guys want to come up, I'll pray really quick. And then, um, God, I pray for this church. I pray for Community Church of Appleton that you would help them to stand firm in your truth. You would help them to stand firm in who you are. God, give them a passion for your word. Give them a passion to be on their knees in prayer, hearing from you, speaking to you. God, make your voice audible to them as you walk with them each and every day. Help them to live free as you have called them to. Help us to embrace this freedom that you have given us. And God, give us the strength and the power not to fall back into a yoke of slavery towards sin or to things of this world, but instead to see ourselves as you have called us to. It is only by you that we will be able to do that. And God, I pray that you would use this church, these people, to shine your light where they go. Pray this all in Jesus' name.